0: Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, is where we're gonna be this morning, covering a few verses in chapter 3 and a few verses in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. Now, as you're turning there, if you're a parent here of kids, you probably remember your kids' first words. It's right, just kind of something that we just, we kind of got locked in of where we just sort of remember. The, I remember our middle child, Eliana, after her, her first couple of regular normal words you go through as a kid, her first big word though, and it was huge. She had mama, dada, and no, like those were covered. And all of a sudden she's, she's in her high chair and she's looking up onto the fridge and up on the fridge we had some, some goodies up there and she, no word of a lie, just points up and goes, chocolate, right? And I'm like, what? Chocolate. Her first, and so we remember that, right? But here's the thing. I think more importantly than our first word, I think more important to be the, the last words we uttered on our way out. I mean, those words are, are literally the, hey, if I only have this last thing to say, I'm going to say this. And so there, there's a weightiness to words spoken by people when, when we know, man, this is the last thing I have to say, the last opportunity I may have to speak. And so I want to speak these words to you. And and here in 2 Timothy, we have this letter written to this young pastor, Timothy, in, the, in, in Ephesus, written by the Apostle Paul. He was the most incredible missionary to ever live, a brilliant man. He, he gave his life to see churches thrive, led by the Spirit to write most of the books of the New Testament. And and here's, he's writing to Timothy, he's actually writing this from a dark, damp Roman cell just before his death in AD 67. So essentially what we have here, these are like Paul's last words. So so look at verses 1 and 2 and and hear them from that perspective. He says this in verse 1 of chapter 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing, appearing and his kingdom, he says this, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So here he is, he's, he's awaiting execution and he knows my time is coming. He goes, I- I'm about to go. And if I don't go soon, he's, he's trusting me. And Jesus is coming back, but he's just realizing this may be the last thing I have to write to this pastor. And he says this, boldly preach, Timothy. I mean, think about it. Nero is killing off all the Christians, all right? Now here is Paul, one of those very Christians who's about to be killed for the very reason that he would preach the word of God. And you would think that, that Paul, in that moment, as, as he's in that cell and he's writing a letter to Timothy, I would think if it was me, I would probably go, Tim, buddy, I spent most of my life preaching about Jesus and, and, and it got me beaten, it got me whipped, it got me shipwrecked, it got me in prison. It's now going to lead to me being beheaded. Timothy, it's not worth it, man. Just, just give some good self-help talks, tell some good stories, make sure you're funny, build a big crowd. It's going to be better for you in the end. I love it because Paul's not just trying to encourage Timothy. Paul's giving Timothy a charge here. He's, He's giving me a strong plea. He's saying, Timothy, as you grow churches, they need this. Boldly preach the word. Clearly preach the word. Patiently preach the word. Urgently preach the word. And so, so far in this series, we're unpacking, hey, hey, what's a church look like? If we're to say we are the church, what are the important things about a church? What makes us distinct from every other gathering, every other group that you could be a part of? Right? We've talked about how the church is a, a gathering of people. It's, it's not just gathered observers, though. It's, it's we're gathered to true community on this mission, invested in each other's lives seeing people around us respond to Jesus' call and growing more and more like Jesus. And, and here we have so clearly in God's word is this call from Paul for us from God's word saying, hey, here's something else about the church. Make sure you're committed to the preaching of the word, to proclaiming the good news of God's word. But I would say it this way, even as a one who preaches, you do not need to hear more of my opinions. You don't need more pastor's opinions or influencer's opinions. We need to hear the word of God. It's why I love starting every single Sunday off with me saying this, go ahead and grab your Bibles. It's why I want you to have Bibles in your hands. So so you're not just hearing me talking, wait a minute, wait a minute. What does God's word say here? It's why we we walk through God's word and try to unpack verse by verse. A, a, A big churchy word for that is expository preaching exposing what the text says. My my whole goal as a preacher is looking here and going, what is God saying in his word? My hope is every week we're asking that question. As you leave, you would say, man, did I hear from God's word today? Every single one of us need to hear that. I hope you come to church expecting that expecting that you're gonna hear from God's word. And the best way for us to hear from God is to be immersed in his word. It's, a, it's the centerpiece of a biblical church. In fact, you read in Acts chapter two when, when, when the church is, is being set up, being, being birthed out. And in Acts chapter two, it says that when, they, when all those 3,000 people formed that first church as we would know it, as they gather together, it says they were devoted to the apostles' preaching. It's the first thing you read. Why would we spend so much time together teaching and preaching? Why would we spend so much time together listening to somebody teach God's word? Why would you give up a Sunday morning to gather together like this? I mean, I was at a big conference. Uh, This was years ago it was a church kind of conference and, and some guy got up and, and, and for 45 minutes he taught, talked to us about why preaching is kind of falling by the wayside and he says, it's just not effective anymore. There's better ways to communicate and I'm sitting there thinking, then why are you spending 45 minutes doing it right now? Listen, listen, there, there's this, this push in church and it's, it's not just today, it's been forever. We're, we're, we're trying to get the word out of church. How can we do different things? How can, we, how can we lessen that? But listen, listen, why would we do it? Why would we spend so much time in God's word? The answer is this, because God says we need his word. In fact, if you're taking notes, I would say it this way. God's word brings life. God's word brings life. Look at Verse 16. It says, all scripture of chapter three, sorry, chapter three, verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Listen, we we could form community around a whole lot of things. We can form community around, around common hobbies, around, around common socioeconomic statuses. We, we could form, form a group around different service projects we could be a part of. We, we can form community around common struggles we might have, but the, the church is unique because it's this, this gathering, this community that's formed by and empowered by the Word of God. You know, it's, it's one of the, the coolest but weirdest stories in the Old Testament. It's in Ezekiel 37. And and God gives this prophet Ezekiel this vision. He says, says, I want you to see something. And then Ezekiel has this vision of a valley filled with old, dry bones. And as Ezekiel sees all these, these bones filling up this valley, God asks him this question. He says, can these bones live? And Zeke's like, a dumb question. And then God says, here's what I want you to do. He says, say to these bones, hear the word of the Lord. He says, tell these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you'll live and I'll put flesh on you. I'll cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So what does Ezekiel start doing? He starts preaching to a valley full of dead bones and and these bones begin to be covered in muscles and tendons and skin, but they're still lifeless. So now now it's a bunch of bodies filling this valley and, and God said to Ezekiel, prophesy breath into them. It's crazy, right? And and this wind picks up. It says from the four corners of the earth, this wind comes and breath enters into him. And it says in Ezekiel 37:10 that there was now this exceedingly great army before Ezekiel. And God tells Ezekiel this, He says, This vision I've given you, this picture I've given you, he says, This is the house of Israel. They're like dead bones. There's no life. There's no hope. So prophesy. Go tell them what I say. Go bring life. Such an amazing picture. I think it's an amazing picture for us as a church as well. Where we're formed, where we're brought to life through the proclamation of God's word. And and as God's word is preached, as you spend time in God's word, God brings life to a people. I mean, look in the text. You can see the different ways where, where life is brought, where, how God's word brings life. Look at verse 15 of chapter three. It says, how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which, what? Are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Here's the first way God's word can bring life. God's word, God's, God's word saves us. Now listen, we, we know that it's Jesus who saves us. It's, it's through faith in his finished work on the cross, right? Where, where God draws our hearts and we see our sin more clearly. We see his holiness so clearly. And, and then we also see God's grace in Jesus Christ as he stands in our place, taking the consequences of our sin on himself. The penalty for sin. And and he doesn't just stay dead, though. He he comes off the cross, buried in the tomb, but then raised again, showing that he defeats death and sin. And and as we place our whole life, our hope in that truth of Christ's saving power, we are saved. But, But listen, it says in Romans 10, verse 14, it says this, how will they call on him, on Jesus, in whom they have not believed? how they believe in him of who they have not heard and how are they to hear without someone preaching. The truth of who Jesus is, the truth of what he's done, the truth of how he saves us, that revelation is found in God's word. I'd say this, listen, if you're here this morning or you're listening online this morning and you don't know Jesus, our greatest hope more than anything else is that you would come to an understanding of the central truth of God's word, the key message of hope in God's word. That, that, that although we are sinners separated from God and, and we deserve the consequences of our sin separated from God forever, that God has shown us his love and his grace. He's made a way for you and I to be saved, to be, to be freed from the penalty and the, the power of sin. And it's this message of salvation. It's, it's found in God's word, a message that brings life. Let me give you an illustration of how, how I've seen this at work. One of uh, Libby and my uh, friends uh, from the U.S., his brother was um, convicted and, and charged with some, some violent crimes. He was sent to prison, federal prison, and, and we wanted to go visit him, and so we go visit Luke while he's in jail, and... and, and Luke was, was one of these guys, kind of like what Paul was saying to Timothy, that you've been taught this from your childhood. And Luke was raised in the church. And so while he's in prison, he, he picks up a Bible again, starts reading, and, and his heart begins to be changed again. So he's asking Luke, saying to his dad, would you come on in and, and talk to some of the buddies I'm in here with? And, and, and so his dad began to meet with some of these guys. And, and Livy and I got to go, and we got to meet them as well. And, and this one guy I mean, he was just kind of your picture. If you were to watch like the movies and see the hardened criminal, that's this dude. He, he was um, ex-military special ops. He was in for murder. Hard, hard man. Well, here's a story about this guy. Luke's dad gave this guy a Bible. And then here's what he said. He goes, oh, you think you're a tough guy? And this guy was a tough guy. And I'm thinking, yeah, Luke's dad was pretty tough because there was this plexiglass in between him and this man, right? But he's like, you think you're a tough guy? He says, i tell you what. And he brought a Bible and he goes, read this, start in Matthew and tell me what you think about Jesus. It wasn't long because this guy could not stop reading just in Matthew. He just kept going and and Luke's dad came back to visit this guy a short while later and, and he was like, man, this Jesus is one tough dude. He says, I could not stop reading. I can't believe that he gave his life for me and in his cell while reading this book, while pouring over God's word. Listen, in that moment, dead bones came to life word has a supernatural power by God's spirit to save. It can save us. Here's, here's the second way it brings life. The, verse 16 says that it teaches us. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for, profitable for teaching. It, it teaches us who God is. It, it, it teaches us how God works. It, it teaches us how to grow in that relationship with God. It teaches. But it goes on, it's, profitable for teaching and for reproof, for reproof. Another word for that is this, that God's word convicts us. It teaches us, it brings life, it saves us, it also convicts us. And it's so good that God's word does that. Because I don't know about you, my heart is prone to wander, to, to drift. Left on our own, we do not grow healthier in the Lord. Right? A a garden unintended, right? Untended, it it grows weeds. A a house that's that's untended gets messy. A car that's left unchecked, it breaks down. So our our hearts left unchecked grow hard, grow apathetic, grow bitter, grow sinful. And 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 so we read God's word. Why? Because there's this, this opportunity as we're reading for God to go, hey, 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 look what's going on in your heart. I, mean, I think of it this way, my, my oldest is now driving. All right, pray for me. Actually, pray for yourself. Um, kidding. All right. And, and so I'll I'll be in the passenger side with her as she's learning how to drive. And and, and there'll be times as we're driving where I'll just kind of quietly say, you're drifting. I'll just just kind of give a word of of making sure she's staying in the in the lane in the right way. Make sure her speed's in a good place. This is God's word for us. As we read and our hearts are prone to drift, God's word is there to say, hey, hey you're drifting. Sometimes it may feel like God's not just saying, hey, you're drifting. Sometimes it feels like God's saying, whoa. <laughs> Thankfully, I've not had that moment with my daughter driving yet, all right? Because why? Because conviction's not always comfortable for us, but it's this call back to the road before disaster strikes. profitable for teaching, for reproof, for conviction. Here's another way. The word also, it what? It corrects us. It says there, it's it's good for correction. So here's the thing. It's not just a, hey, you're drifting. I just wanted to let you know that. God's spirit is at work as we read his word. As you hear the word preached, he's he's working to, to reorient, to redirect us towards Jesus, to redirect our lives and our hearts to what glorifies God. In fact, look at, verse four, look at chapter 4, verse 2. So, as Paul says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season to do what? To, rep- to reprove. To reprove. He says, preach in a way that people are reproved. It's, it's the same idea as, as so they're taught and convicted and corrected. He goes on, he says, reprove and rebuke. Okay, the, the, rebuke, that, that's more than just a whisper. Hey, you're drifting. This is the part of preaching where it feels like you come to church and you'd get get punched in the heart by the preacher, right, lovingly punched, okay? This is what can make church uncomfortable sometimes. This is when you, maybe you've had this where you wake up in the morning, you're like, I don't know if I wanna go to church today because I, I, I know I'm gonna be convicted. I know there's stuff in my heart, and my life. And as soon as I go in, I know God's gonna zero in on that. And, and we, we stay back. And here's the thing. I mean, for those who know me well, I am not a confrontational kind of guy. I'm not one of those preachers who's just like, oh, I just like to talk straight, man. I just give it to you. I, it's not who I am. I, I like you to laugh. I like you to enjoy yourself. That's kind of how I'm wired. But listen, God's word convicts. God's word confronts. God's word rebukes. And so this this wimpy preacher, I'm gonna try my best to unleash the word of God and let the spirit punch who the spirit wants to punch. All right? I would pray this, God, God, make every Sunday that way, that, that you would come every Sunday to be, to be challenged in some area of your life. I don't, I don't wanna have a church where people come, they I just feel good every time I go. Everything's just so nice there. Listen, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to find hope. But my hope is that every Sunday that I could, by God's grace, preach in a way that you would leave thinking, man, there's something in my life that I need to change today because I wanna be more like Jesus. The, I need to make this correction. And why is it so important for churches to, to preach in this way, for God's word to be, to be proclaimed in this way? Look at chapter four, verse three. It says, for a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Because people have itching ears. And, and here's the thing, conviction and rebuke does not scratch the itch people have. Hey, preacher, make me laugh. Hey, hey preacher, tell, tell good stories. Hey, hey preacher, make sure you talk about things I already agree with. Don't, don't, don't confront me. Hey, preacher, just, just make Sunday morning like, like, like those Hallmark Christmas movies, just fuzzy and warm. Paul's saying that so many people want to hear what they want to hear. They don't want to hear what God has to say. The word of God can be very uncomfortable. It it can cut deep sometimes. I don't know about you, but there are times where I'm reading God's word, and there, there are moments where I'm like, God, why do you have to push in on this today? And like a good surgeon, God is saying, because this is where you need new life. This, this teaching and convicting and correcting, really it all leads to this. Look, look at verse 16 again. It's profitable for all these things, for correction and for what? And for training in righteousness. I love that word, that word training. Okay, actually, I hate that word. I like how clear it is, right? Training does not seem comfortable. Training is hard. Training takes time and effort. But God's word, listen, when you stay in it, when you sit under it, when you follow after it, it trains us to experience the the righteousness and the goodness that Christ has bought us for. Look at verse 17, what the training is. Training for what? That the man or woman of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. It, It trains us, it equips us. I was thinking about when I was in high school. I I played uh, football on the high school football team. And um, I know... Um, I was not the hulking frame you see before you now back then. All right, I, was, I was that tiny little kid in high school. But I played football because I wanted to get out of class, right? Because you could go play games and not have to go to fourth or fifth period. So I would join the football team. I joined every sport I could. And, and here's the thing about because I was so tiny, because I didn't really care about football, I didn't play very often. Really not at all. I, I was kind of the guy who just rode the pines. And so what I found, what I discovered was, a lot of the equipment you put on for football is super uncomfortable. And so I just take it off. So I just, I just sit on the bench with the, hardly any equipment on at all. Why? Because cause, cause, cause I wasn't in the game. I didn't need it. You don't need equipment when you're on the bench. But listen, if you want to be used by God, actually, let me say this more clearly. Let, let me speak to, to husbands and dads. You don't have the luxury of sitting on the bench. You're in the game. So are you equipped? Are you daily in the word? Are you allowing it to to convict, to correct, to train, to train, to lay down your life for your wife, to to, to show your kids Jesus? And, And listen, I know as I say that, that might be a heart punch for some today. Here's what I love though. Look at verse two of chapter four. I mean, you're sitting there. if you're, you're sitting there, you're feeling the conviction of that, like, man, I'm not in the word, and I know I've been called in the game to be on mission for Christ, to be on mission in my school, to be on mission in my church, and I'm just not. I'm not equipped. I'm sitting on the bench. And I, I hope you feel the conviction of that. But verse 2, it says that, that to be ready to preach what? To reprove, to rebuke, and I love this, to exhort. Exhort with complete patience. That word there, exhort, it means to come alongside. So let me, let me say this, and you're, you're going to hear me say this over and over and over again in this series. Your walk with Jesus is not just a, a you and Jesus alone kind of thing. It is a you and me and Jesus thing. That's what church is. You come to Jesus on your own. It's, it's your own heart before Christ. That's how you come to salvation. But listen, you don't walk it out alone. We exhort each other. We come alongside each other with with complete patience. So let me add this to the exhortation of be in the word as followers of Christ. Be in the game. None of you are on the bench. We're all in the game. Let me add to that with saying this. Grab a good community of people around you. People who exhort. People who come alongside. Again, I'm not talking about, hey, get good people in this church that you just like to hang out with because you do fun things together. Hey, that's great too, but I'm saying this. More importantly, get people who point you to the word. Get people who literally would come alongside you. Not sit on the bench with you. Not wander and drift with you. But would say, hey, I want to point you to the word again because I want us to be more like Christ. I want us in the game. goes on. Verse 16 says, does all of this, why? So that we may be equipped, competent for every good work. Here's here's the the last way that it brings life. God's word brings life because God's word transforms us. I mean, the whole point of being in the word, the whole point of of coming to church to hear somebody preach, the whole point of all of this is so that we'd be more like Jesus. So that when we read God's word, when we come under it, when it's preached and taught, that that hurting people would be comforted, that, that, that sinful people would be transformed. I mean, think about, think about what God says about his word, the power you have in your hands even just this morning. The power it has to change you. I was, I was reading a report online just this week from this organization called Center for Bible Engagement. And they surveyed over 400,000 people from around the world about Bible engagement. And here's what they found. They found that those who were engaged in God's word four times a week, four times a week, four days a week, four out of the seven days, they're, they're in the word together. Here's what they said. They said those who were four days a week were, were this, 228% more likely to share their faith. 59% less likely to view pornography. 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness. I mean, those stats just prove out the point of what God's word already tells us, that God's word transforms our lives. Listen, God's word will transform your marriage will transform your family, will transform your friendships, will transform your work, will transform our church. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to be a church that studies it, that teaches it, that prays it, that sings it. Every time we gather as the church. Now quickly, with with that as our foundation, that's the word of God. If if there is a work that's happening here as we read it, I would say this, it's crucial that we're not just a preaching church, but if there's power in this, it's the spirit of God at work, not just the paper and the words, there's a spiritual work going on, then it's also important that we're a praying church. second point this morning is this, prayer grows God's word in my life. Prayer grows God's word in my life. Listen, in the new year, I want to unpack prayer in a sermon series a little more deeply. But for this morning, let me just take a slice of, of what prayer is as it relates to, to the Word of God and the, the power of the Word of God. In 1 Corinthians 2.11, it says this, No one understands the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So think of what that means, that no one understands the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So, so when you go into God's Word, you're like, okay, this was, was, was by the Spirit of God. This came out. The Spirit of God leading men to write this. That, that as I'm reading this, it's the Spirit of God. So how would I know what this says? How do I understand the Word? Well, in prayer, we have access to the author. It's like having the director's commentary turned on during the movie, where you get to understand everything that was going on. We have the Spirit of God to ask God, God, would you apply this to my heart? Andrew Murray says this about it. He says, prayer and the word are inseparably linked together. Power in the use of either depends on the presence of the other. Do you hear what he's saying? He said, I I, want to be transformed by God's word. So so he's saying, listen, you need prayer to be transformed by God's word. And God's word is what's going to inform your prayers. So the, the two are, are linked, that, that, that I can't go into God's word without first having my heart inclined in prayer to say, God, I need you to, to, to illuminate what I'm reading. And then as you read God's word, you begin to pray differently as well. The new life we're promised is this life of joy found only in Christ. It's, it's revealed by the spirit in his word and prayer unlocks the word of God. We can only have God's word do a deep work in our heart when our our eyes are seeing clearly what God is teaching, what he's correcting, what he's encouraging. And so we we call out, God, help me as I read. It's the spirit of God who's saying as you read, this is you drifting. So what do we do? We pray intently for a powerful work of God's spirit as we look intently at the powerful word of God. In fact, let me, let me quickly give you a real quick tool for this. How, how do I pray as I get into God's Word? John Piper, he has this thing he calls his I-O-U-S prayer. I-O-U-S. And they're all pulled out of the Psalms. And if I go too quickly on this, just, just Google I-O-U-S John Piper or Desiring God. You'll find it there. A lot of articles on this where he, where he kind of fleshes it out. But here's, here's what he does. He prays this. I is incline my heart. God, focus my affections and my attention and my desires on you. God, remove anything from my heart that's going to oppose that focus. Incline my heart. Then the O, he prays, open the eyes of my heart. He said, God, God show me what you want me to see from this. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to read what you have for me today incline my heart, open the eyes of my heart. And then he says this, I pray, unite my heart to fear your name. Unite my heart to fear your name. I, I like that idea of unite my heart. My, my heart, our hearts can be so, so disjointed, so distracted, so broken in pieces where, where a piece of my heart is fearful. A, a piece of my heart's running after hope in people. A, a piece of my heart is, is going after comfort to, to be my hope. And, and what he's saying is pray that you would bring all of those together to be united to fear God trust him. And then he prays this, I-O-U-S-S, satisfy my heart with your steadfast love. Let me see your steadfast love more clearly as I open up your word right now. God, show me your grace. Show me your promises. I mean, that, that's where the power of the word is. It's, it's when it shows us more of Jesus. Because here's the thing, the Bible does, just, just, you know, the Bible does not cover every single topic we're going to face It's it's not gonna unpack everything in your life. Well, I'm I'm going through this. Where's the chapter and verse on on raising toddlers? Ah, I can't find it, right? It's not there. But, but, But what if the whole point of God's word is not to cover every single topic, but what if God had a deeper intention for what he was looking to do with his word as it's preached and studied and read? What if there was something beneath all of those things that we wish God would speak into? God says, but I'm gonna talk about something deeper than that. what if God's doing a work deeper? What if he's doing a work so deep that it actually changes those other practical areas of your life? Why? Because it changes you to be more like Jesus. here's our last point this morning. It's this. God's word leads me to a life of worship. I mean, really, that's the whole point. As you're prayerfully digging into God's word, you're saying, "God, God, change my heart. God, God created me a heart that finds its joy and its satisfaction in you alone. We look at verse six. Here's how Paul describes his life. This is a, a amazing verse of worship. Verse six of chapter four says, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. That's a picture of his life. He says, he says, I'm just pouring myself out. It's this idea of where, where a, an offering would be poured out. It's not drunk. It's not like I'm gonna drink this because it's so good. No, it's, it's being poured out. Why? Because it's actually for another purpose. It's for God's purpose, God's plan. It's a picture of worship that my life would be poured out. It's, it's not just singing worship, but a life that says, I'm all yours, God. And so when you dig into the word of God, that's where we start. We, don't, we, we dig in and say, "God, God, I need my heart changed. And the more you feed on his word, the the more the spirit of God teaches and convicts and corrects and trains you to be what? To be more like Jesus. And so, yes, it won't give an answer specifically for every single topic, but it will help you become more like Jesus, which affects everything you do. It changes your heart. And I would say this, as we read God's word, the point is starting here. You start with your heart. Because when we deal with our heart, out from our heart will come our, our thoughts, our desires, our emotions, our affections. And the more you're immersed in God's word with a heart changed to be more like Christ, the more it begins to affect your desires. And now your very desires become God's desires. You begin to want what God wants you begin to think more like God thinks and it it changes, this is a great thing, from your heart to your thoughts and actions, it begins to then change how you live and act, how you see your family, your friends, your work, your school. When when your heart and your mind are worshiping Christ, it changes how you live, how you act. But I say this, we, we don't read God's word, we don't start in the church with, well, let's deal with all the actions out here. No, our actions flow from our hearts. What we believe, what we value flows from our heart. And I, I fear that so much time as Christians is wasted on just the outer actions. But it's, it's a little bit like this. I've said this before. It's like mowing over our dandelions, thinking that's taking care of our weed problem. They're just gonna pop up again. Getting to God's word and allowing it to start here in our heart, getting it to a place of worship, not just actions, not just behavior modification, but a heart of worship. You're digging out the weeds that give true life change. If your heart is seeking Jesus, if your heart is finding your hope in Him and Him alone, if you're, you're enthralled with His steadfast love for you, it changes how you deal with people. You can sacrifice. You can give, you you can forgive. Why? Because your heart is oriented to Christ first. How we think about money and relationships and and our spouse and our kids and our job and our schooling and our friendships and and our singleness, whatever that is, how we feel about those things is affected when our hearts are turned and oriented to Christ. Christ. So everything we do as a church, as we open up God's word, the whole point is to drive us deeper into worship. I would say it this way. We don't sing songs to warm ourselves up for the preaching. I preach to grow us to be deeper worshipers. I love that. I love the truth that that's what God's word is at work doing. Here's why. Here's why. Because I'm not an expert on very many things. I'm not an expert on finances. I'm not an expert on raising kids. And, and nobody came here this morning because you were thinking, man, I'm so glad I came here because Pastor Kai has all the answers. I mean, I, I am constantly amazed at how little I know about things. I, I have a house now full of teenage girls. I'm reminded every day how little I know about anything. I never want to stand up here and give you my opinions. Why? There's too much at stake. You don't need my opinions. You don't need anybody's opinion. You need a word from God. I need a word from God, even when our ears don't want to hear it. Let me say this. Listen, little, little time in the word equals little power in your life. A little time in the word, as you, as you reduce, as you don't spend time in the word, and you have little time in the word, you have little power in your marriage, little power in parenting, little power in trials, in work. Listen, little time in the word means little power in our church and the mission we're called to. So I would say this, let's get in the word more. Let's be immersed in God's word more. Are you immersed in the word? Are you prayer, prayerfully in God's word? Listen. If you need help, if really, like, man, I'm trying. I'm new to this faith thing. I, I'm reading. I don't understand it. Reach out because we want to walk with you in it. We we can get resources for you to be able to understand more deeply. But what I do know is this: why we're going to preach the way we preach at our church, and I, you're never going to hear me preach a bunch of sermons. Ten ways to get out of debt five ways to raise your kid. I'm just not gonna have those sermons here very much, but what I do have is I've got a book, actually 66 books, Old Testament and New Testament, guaranteed by God with the power of the Spirit to grow us more like Jesus. And this is what we need most today. So God, grow us as a church that's in your word. Not, Not to grow bigger Bible heads, but to grow hearts of worship. As the worship team comes up, as we end off this morning, Let me ask you this. Here's what we're trying to find out this morning. Here's what I'm digging into today is answering this question. Why would we preach the word? Why would our church be centered there? Why would we have small groups and and classes and Harvest Kids and our youth ministry? Why would it be so focused on digging into the word of God? Why would you, if you're a parent here this morning, why would you invest your time and energy to teach your kids the word of God? Why? Because this is a book that's been breathed out by God, it says. So it has power. With a word, God created the universe. With a word, Jesus calmed storms, caused the blind to see the lame to walk, the dead to come to life. This word has the power to come and bring new life where there is just dead bones. This word changes our hearts to grow us, to worship him more, to lay everything down at his feet, to say, pour me out as a drink offering again this morning, Jesus, because you are worthy. You're worthy. So this morning, let me ask you this as we worship together. Where has where God's word taught, corrected, convicted you this morning? Where's there a change even right now that you know God's pressing in on your heart? And, and, and as you stand to worship, I would say this, begin there. Begin with a heart that says, Jesus, you're so worthy. You're so worthy. You're the one worthy of my entire life. And from that place of worship and calling out to see Christ as worthy, move out from there into this life of worship that says, Lord, because of that, this is where I'm moving today. Would you stand with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. God, for your word, for the power of your word. Father, I pray that even this morning you would help us to become men and women and young people of the word. That we would read it, that we would allow it to change our lives, that we would, we would dig regularly into this. God, I, I pray that today would mark a day of change for so many this morning. God, that even this week there would be more people in your word. And that we would experience this week, testimony after testimony of the promise you make that your word will not come back empty. God, that that would be so true this week as we dive in together. So God, would you show us the power of your word, the power to change lives, the power to breathe life into dead bones. God, would you transform us as a church to be that kind of a church, a church that moves in that kind of power. Lord, let it begin with our hearts, hearts filled with worship, to be poured out as drink offerings. Number one, for you, but God, that also for each other, and Lord, for the sake of those in our communities. All for your fame and for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.